Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and today we're going to examine the importance of a cyber threat intelligence program. And we've got a special guest today who spent a career mastering this topic and has some really valuable insights you won't want to miss. Now, as always, if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on LinkedIn so you can get the latest insight into CISO Tradecraft. Let's start with a definition. We're going to be talking about cyber threat intelligence, and the website DNS Stuff defines it as, quote, information used by an organization to better understand past, current, and future threats. Threat intelligence provides the context necessary to make informed decisions about your network security, especially after an attack has occurred. Now, cyber threat intelligence, I mean, if you think about the idea of intelligence, the um, kind of go back to like the military. So I spent a career uh, as a naval officer, and intel was very important. The N2, or if you're in a joint staff, the J2, uh, is in a support role that's basically designed to inform the commander of what is out there. If you have better intelligence on what your potential opponent is up to, you can better position your forces and you're more likely to be effective. Well, as you can imagine, that goes beyond just the military. That could extend into governments as well. If we know that there's another uh, government that's looking to do certain activities, uh, today these world, uh, we're often world about uh, things such as uh, cyber espionage and the like, but having insight and intelligence into what your opponents are doing, what they're up to, what are the tools and capabilities, all those can better help us make decisions. And then naturally that would then extend into businesses as well. This is not the domain of governments. Corporations can use threat intelligence effectively to understand what is a potential competition up to, what are people who are trying to, if you will, steal your secrets up to, and uh, what are other the dangers that are there. Cyber threat intelligence can feed into models such as a MITRE attack model, uh, which we have covered previously, and we can you can take a look at as a threat-informed modeling of what we take a look at as the tactics, techniques, and procedures of uh, adversaries, as well as other tools like the Structured Threat Information Expression, or STICS. Well, I'll mention that in a moment. As we look at cyber threat intelligence, we find out that it tends to fit well into the typical approach for intelligence, which is a, an intelligence cycle. We first want to collect information from reliable sources. Now, you want to be careful there because when you have a sole source reporting, that was always a warning flag in the intel community if someone says, hey, we've only got a single uh, bit of data. Well, that's usually not considered to be reliable. But, but it's re I know that it's a reliable source. I know that. But the problem is, but if it's not corroborated, then you have to be very careful because although your source may be quite reliable and has never lied to you, the input to that source might have been distorted. And then good faith, they just thought, hey, this is the way it works. There is a saying that goes back to General George Patton. He said, the first report is always wrong. And the reason being is that in the efforts to get some information to the decision maker, the reporter is going to have to go fill in some details or you know, feel like they can't just come up and say, I don't know what's going on. We see that in the press all the time. They're on a news show and says, Ed, we're going to cut live over to the scene. I've got Bill right now uh, live on camera. Bill, what's going on? Um, you never hear the reporter saying, well, actually, we're not quite certain 
there's a lot of police cars here and there's some other activity, but let's wait a couple hours until we get a chance to get an authoritative report and then we can tell our viewers what's going on. And then the announced is, you still got four minutes and 40 seconds. Keep talking. Oh, well, okay. I, uh, I do believe then that we have a, a zombie apocalypse going on and aliens from uh, outer space have come down and possibly infiltrated through. Yeah, and then off you go. And so that's kind of a ridiculous example, but you get the point, is that if you're going to have information coming in, it's got to be reliable. The next step in your intelligence cycle is to sort out the false positives. There is going to be information that is going to not indicate a problem, but it looks that way. There's a lot of things that could potentially uh, trigger an alert, and you could spend a lot of time and waste a lot of time and money going after things that don't really matter. Then what we want to do is share threat information with others. As I mentioned, something like the STIX model, the Structured Threat Information Expression. Uh, there is a GitHub site you could go to, get a lot of information on STIX. Essentially, what STIX does is it has a number of different domain objects, like an attack pattern, a campaign, course of action, identity, uh, location, etc. And then these are established through relationships and sightings saying, hey, these are linked together or we believe something is out there. Might do an entire episode on that if we think it's worthwhile because then Styx ends up often being reported with a tool called Taxi, Trusted Automated Exchange of Information, Intelligence Information. Let's get my eyes in the right order here. And it's designed specifically to support Styx information, which it does by defining an API that can ally with different sharing models. So there, then the third step is to share that threat intelligence, threat information with others. Then we want to make the intelligence actionable and integrate it into security. It's one thing to know what the threat is, but if you don't take action on it, then it's not very useful. Probably one of the biggest examples that I can think of in history is the signals intercept of the essentially the declaration of war by Japan on the United States, which essentially said that, hey, uh, we are pulling out of this arrangement. We are no longer going to do that. Well, that came and was intercepted and was available uh, hours before Pearl Harbor. And if you take a look at some of the historical accounts, you'll find out that, oh, we want to make sure it's exactly correct. Uh, we didn't have word processors back then. Oh, you made a typo on that page. It's going to the president. It has to be correct. And so in that administrative delay, the intercept that was going to the Japanese ambassador, who was then going to deliver it to the president or at least to the equivalent, right about the time the bomb started going and uh, the attack started, was available hours earlier. But the intelligence community never made it actionable in an infection time. So sometimes... Fast and ugly and actionable is better than clean and perfect and too late. And then lastly, the more important thing is to analyze your intelligence. What have we got out there? When we look at threat intelligence, we find out there's four basic types of threat intelligence. Strategic, tactical, technical, and operational. Strategic cyber threat intelligence is usually used for non-technical audiences, like you're briefing the executive team. It talks about trends and emerging risks and provides a general picture of what could happen uh, with a cyber attack. What's going on out there? Uh, issues uh, may be coming up such as, well, what's ransomware? We're not getting into specific actors and groups and techniques and mechanisms and the algorithms and the number of bits, et cetera. Uh, those are all reserved at a different level, but essentially, Things such as policies, white papers, information at the top level that'll let executives know what's going on. 
The second type of threat intelligence is tactical. This is more specific on a threat actor's tactics, techniques, and procedures, TTPs. This is exactly where the MITRE ATT&CK framework is going to fit in. It's designed for technical audiences, and it helps you understand how to look for what are called indicators of compromise, or IOCs. And then based upon that, the audience for tactical threat intelligence are those actively involved in protecting the network. That's your defense team. Technical threat intelligence looks more like the clues indicative of a of cybersecurity threat. Maybe things such as phishing email content, uh, fraudulent URLs, subject lines. You've got a Nigerian prince with blue pills from Canada who wants to go ahead and extend your car's warranty, something like that. Uh, that gives people an idea of what to look for. And then we can use that to help filter and get the attacks uh, detoured from hitting our enterprise. Now, of course, attackers get a vote as well. And therefore, this type of threat intelligence, the technical threat intelligence, can have a fairly short shelf life uh, because, as they say, the opponent gets a vote. And then lastly, operational threat intelligence. Now it helps us understand the nature of specific attacks, like in timing, how sophisticated is the group responsible, uh, et cetera. This is the dark web intel. This is information that's obtained usually by external threat intelligence agents and then come out and said, hey, we've been hanging around in the dark web and we think that this is attack is going to happen or these are going to occur, et cetera. Sometimes law enforcement is able to do that. And a lot of major credit card breaches in the past have been disclosed not by internal threat teams, but by organizations like the FBI who said, yeah, there's a bunch of noise and chat in the dark web that suggests that you've been popped. You better go take a look. And by the way, a little caveat here, and this is just a recommendation. This isn't policy. If you're going to collect threat intelligence, collect internal threat intelligence. That is to say, look for indicators of compromise, look for problems, because if a bad guy is in your network, and you're going ahead and hunting them down and then trying to swat them, well, they kind of expect that, right? Yeah, I'm in somebody else's system and they caught me and they booted me out. And that's the way it goes. But if you're in there trying to play amateur Dick Tracy, poking around on the dark web and trying to gather information and posing as somebody you're not, and then you get found out, it's a possibility they're going to say, let's go get these guys, and they're going to come ahead, and you've just turned uh, a single hornet into an entire hornet's nest. So just a little word of caution on that one. But hey, let's go ahead now and listen to an expert on the subject. So I'm pleased to have today an expert that we can listen to. And so let's shift over to the interview portion of our call, and I think you'll find this very enlightening. Well, I'm also pleased to have today in our well, virtual studio anyway, Landon Winklevoss. And Landon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. So you come highly recommended to me by my uh, partner here, but could you tell me a little bit about yourself and, and what you've done and what you're doing? Sure. No, happy to. Thanks for having me, for sure. Background, I was a former technical targeting officer with the intelligence community. 10 years in the government. Did three years with State Department as a criminal analyst. Did four years as a DOD civilian. Got the great pleasure to deploy uh, with special operations, where I really started to learn technical targeting and started to become a little bit more technical. Wow, it's kind of a, a lot of cool things. So, career. So, you started your career in the government, right? Like, if I heard that correctly, or yes, sir. Uh, like I said, State Department, DoD civilian, and then a technical targeter within other sectors of the intelligence community. I really focused on computer network exploitation operations. After my government career, I joined with Justin Zeef, another former member of the IC. 
to form a managed intelligence company called Nisos. We reckon, and, and during that time, we recognized that even the largest and most sophisticated organizations, even if they were buying an abundance of cyber threat intelligence feeds uh, and had an internal intelligence team, were really struggling to make the information timely, actionable, and relevant. So we built a company of intelligence experts from the government and the IC, mostly you know a lot of the three-letter agencies, NSA, CIA, FBI, as well as large enterprises in order to assist these organizations expert intelligence services. You know, one of one of our main, you know, differentiators is we allow them to ensure their intelligence is specific to their organization and is actionable. And we specialize in attributing and unmasking threat actors, targeting them. And I think uh, and you know, here we have been going for five to six years, you know, actually six years really this July. And we realize few organizations have the expertise uh, to really accomplish this on their own. And we've really been very successful bringing this type of expertise really to enterprise. That's really cool stuff. So you mentioned technical targeting. You know, my first thought is, you know, this show is all about cyber threat intelligence. And I'm thinking somebody probably needed cyber threat intelligence on you. Right. <laughs> you think about it, because to a certain extent, if you're uh, you're focusing on roles and missions like that, then it means that you need to really understand a lot about where your potential target is, how they're thinking what they're looking for, and maybe kind of with a nod to Donald Rumsfeld, what they're not looking for, the stuff that they don't know about. No, that's, that's all completely fair. And, you know, a lot of the different operations that we were doing were, you know, non-state actors uh, mm -hmm. around drug cartels and terrorist organizations, but it also varied to hard targets as well. So if we take a look in the private industry, what is it that, for example, your clients, your customers sure. care about that would be kind of analogous to maybe things that a, com a company or country or government might care about? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, just, uh, it's a lot of things. And again, like kind of like to go back to where we started as a company, you know, we, we when we started as a company in 2015, really the only thing that cyber threat, you know, what, what corporations really cared about was cyber threat intelligence were mm -hmm. really protections around, you know, confidentiality, integrity, and availability of data systems and networks. And I think that that's certainly, you know, what, where the industry had started is really like, you know, who, who can find the biggest data lake, you know, outside of a firewall to really, you know, bring and solve a, a lot of different problems. And we see problems around six primary intelligence domains uh, that enterprise generally solved. Those are reputation, platform, fraud, third party, protective, and of course, cyber threat intelligence. And ultimately, it was all these issues that needed to be solved, and it was just the digital plane or cyberspace that they really needed to be solved in. Cyber threat intelligence angle is still, you know, ever more important to bring that kind of context in terms of what the you know bad actors are ultimately doing, and make that in, in, integrate that certainly with the security operations team. But we, what we ultimately saw was a growing emphasis, certainly, to attack more than just, you know, you know, the, the data systems and networks, right? I mean, we, we really are seeing an evolution of, you know, bringing, you know, disinformation attacks, you know, the ability to use platforms and technology platforms to, you know, distill and reduce consumer confidence in a variety of different tech technological platforms, as well as business, as well as business applications. And then of course we see, you know, quite a bit of that same type of methodology used against third parties, against vendors, to ultimately see, because I mean, I think we all can say that if you want to, you know, attack a major bank, it's going to be pretty tricky. You've got to go through a third party. Uh, and that third party, of course, is going to have, is not going to have the same posture. And then, of course, you know, a lot of executives, of course, want 
protection, you know, to ultimately reduce their risk profile. And so ultimately, you know, there's a lot of protective intelligence that you ultimately, we ultimately have to feed and, and, and provide to them. Because what a lot of people don't know is, you know, like, like kind of what, like what I was saying in terms of like how you target individuals. Well, there's certainly a way to reduce that type of online profile, online footprint uh, that makes you less of a target. And certainly executives and high net worth individuals, you know, are ultimately wanting to kind of bring that together in a, in a holistic package to really, you know, re reduce risk. And so you're saying I... I need to read. I need to delete my MySpace profile now. <laughs> a little bit late for that. Not a, not a bad idea for sure. Yeah. Well, fascinating. Yeah. So from being on the side that looks at here are the types of pieces of information, the intelligence that we would collect to be able to be successful in completing an operation, almost makes you uniquely qualified to then say on the defense side, if you will, offense informing the defense to provide ways to take a look at cyber threat intelligence and then stitch that together so it's not just a simple, oh, here's something going on, but there's an ongoing uh, a program. And so from that perspective, I would see that there would be strategic level, that is For to sure. say, what's going on from a long-term threat, uh, tactical, something that's perhaps a more of an immediate short-term threat, and then what's going on right now, operational. Right. Um, how does that tend to break out in terms of the amount of of effort or time, or what should a CISO be thinking about among all the other duties when it comes down to threat intelligence, the long picture, the medium picture, yep. or what's on fire right now? Yeah. I mean, it usually comes down to, you know, three, I guess three, I mean, four distinct categories, right? I mean, at the, at the, and for anybody builds a, for any CISO builds a threat intelligence program, they really have to look at the business risk in terms of what the business wants to really protect. Uh, and that varies, that varies, right? I mean, a, a financial institution is going to care about something different than a manufacturing company that's going to care about something different, you know, than a technology platform, right? So, I mean, really, mm -hmm. they have to look at what the business need, you know, really is. And and for a CISO, it us what's usually pretty common with a CISO is really the attack surface, the reputation, and then, of course, the attack surface, the reputation, and, of course, the ability to really ultimately drill down into those, into those, you know, through an, through a request for information type of service, right? So, you know, what people don't realize is, you know, there is a just an enormous amount of different external telemetry that can be gathered and aggregated that can ultimately be distilled to really look at somebody's attack surface, right? So, when you're looking at an attack surface, this is really where you're looking at, you know, different RDP maybe an open port. Uh, from RDPs, a box that's outside of, you know, a, a workstation that's outside of a firewall permission, you know, a, an external service that has maybe a, is vulnerable to an exploit, you know, that type of, you know, there's automated ways certainly to, you know, not only map your, you know, dynamically map your exterior footprint, but then of course, to look at like what is can potentially be vulnerable. And then even to go more, more so, there's certainly a lot of different types of telemetry that can actually say, okay, what is actually happening? Like, is this actively being exploited, right? And it's almost that, and this is where you really get into that offensive mindset of, you know, okay, let's look at the frequency of, you know, how much a, um, you know, a piece of telemetry or a piece of, you know, a packet that's kind of going outside of a network. Okay, I mean, is, is that, is, is it like, is it actual beacon activity? Or is it just something that's, you know, almost benign? And, you know, is that, you know, in indicative of, you know, the APT, you know, mindset, right? Because, you know, as anybody knows, it's been in this business, 
you know, you can have an, you can have, you know, you know, uh, what we call remote code execution on a box. And then of course, set it like to how long, how often that box talks to the internet. Right. And of course you can pick that up, you know, doing this attack surface monitoring. Right. So that's that attack surface monitoring kind of mindset and looking at the malicious traffic flows. And then of course, right on the, you know, on the reputation side, I mean, this is really where you're looking at, you know, domains being registered. This is where you're looking for, you know, where your company is being talked about in the dark web, the open web, the social media forums, uh, and to ultimately see, you know, what is being kind of talked about. And then of course, like that, you know, with anything, you know, there needs to be an RFI service, right. Where you ultimately have to like, you know, okay, now I, I see this alert. All right, now I need to actually go and find that and find out and get like what the context is. Is this a false positive? Is this something that we need to care about? Is this something that's burning now? You know, is somebody actually stealing our IP that we escalate this, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, what you ultimately want to do, you know, there's, there's a security event, then there's a security incident, and then of course there's a breach, right? And like the whole point is to like have that mean time to respond, to mean time to alert, that is, you know, really that, that mean time alert is small. So you keep those things to events and even incidents and they don't become breaches is the end of the day. Yeah. And it, it's, I remember a friend of mine, Wynn Schwartow, years ago wrote a book called Time-Based Security, where he basically made that argument that if you win as a defender, if between the time you detect and the time you respond is faster than the time it takes for the intruder to go ahead and pull off whatever they're doing. And you know, then in his book, he went ahead and he did dozens of examples. That one's a good friend of mine, but I told him, I said, hey, can I put an endorsement on the back of your book? Never has so simple a subject been covered in so many words. Right. Funny, he didn't want me to put that on there. But anyway, we, he still puts <laughs> up with me from time to time. So what I hear you saying then, and let me reflect it back to make sure I'm getting it, is that threat intelligence really has a couple portions to it. One is understanding what your own exposures are. Because you want to go ahead and as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, okay, we'll do our own port scan. We'll do a Nessus. We'll take a look at what's going on. But that's part of the problem. And that's not even, you know, I wouldn't have even classify that as threat intelligence. I would just say, what is my vulnerability assessment? But then the external part, which is saying, let's check the dark web. And there's some general stuff such as this particular nation state has indicated in their five-year plan that they're very interested in this type of technology. And oh, by the way, your company does that. That's a general threat is compared to you have been named in a particular document because you got something and then someone's coming after you. And so as you look at those different components, when you engage with, with people, mm -hmm. what, the, what do they have beforehand? And then what causes them to come to the realization that, wow, I ought to be looking at more than just what I've got. Yeah, I mean, so that's, that's the, always the hard problem, right? And I think that w where we generally see is, I mean, I mean again, this is the always sometimes the issue of, you know, the have and the haves and the have nots really of cybersecurity. And, you mm -hmm. know, and this is like something that we are certainly is the forefront of our mind to ultimately always tackle. At the core, when it comes to cyber threat intelligence, it's tip, what we typically see. And again, we're trying to, we're going to get beyond this, you know, in, in the years to come. But currently as it stands now, most companies typically have to have a, at least a robust secure, security operations team, right? Somebody's mm -hmm. got to be looking at the internal telemetry, the ability to look at indicators of compromise, the ability to potentially look at behaviors where that ultimately is going to be you know, important. Because if they have that internal context, then they can ultimately make sense you know, externally. Of course, we see this with medium-sized businesses as well that ultimately have MSSPs or MDRs, managed detection and response company companies mm -hmm. that are helping them. But what we you know generally do see 
is that they do have some semblance of a security operations team. What we're hoping and what we're trying to ultimately move to, toward, you know, is a level of automation that, you know, where, you know, if you're a $50 million to, you know, a $100 million business, I mean, you saw, you know, some recent news that, you know, there's some ransomware groups that are just only targeting $100 million businesses, right? Mm -hmm. Because they ultimately will, are going to have the ability to pay out. I'd say those $100 million businesses probably, frankly, are just starting getting started with having a MSSP, right? Mm -hmm. And there's still, a, there's still a lot that they can learn contextually outside of the firewall to really be effective. But at the same time, there's certainly got to be an integration and an integration to something internally, whether that be a ticketing system, whether that be a SIM, you know, a, a security event management tool like Splunk. I mean, they're probably not going to have a, you know, a threat intelligence platform, you know, by that time as a hundred million dollar company, but they probably have something, right. That's a little bit more, they're doing a little bit more than the blocking and tackling that mm -hmm. can ultimately integrate. Okay. Like we see this externally, you're getting your sock up and running. And we have an ability to certainly uh, integrate internally to to flag and and escalate right. meaningful you know, vulnerabilities. Okay, so then what we have then is an adjunct to existing systems, which may be insufficient to be able to collect that information, to manage it, to store it, keep it up to date. And that's something that a threat intelligence program would be able to do, which then means you can make more informed risk-based decisions about maybe we shouldn't do this because we are being targeted, or maybe we should do this because we consider the risk to be a bit lower. No, that's exactly right. And I think that's like one of the differentiators that we saw in the market, certainly as we were evolving, you know, between 2015 and 2017, I think a lot of threat intelligence companies, you know, ultimately went and made the, you know, the, the successful argument that mm -hmm. because we have the biggest data lake, you should purchase our product or platform and ultimately have the ability certainly to, you know, to, and to integrate. And of course they were very successful at selling, you know, their, you know, let's call it the IOC to SIM type model. I think we're all kind of, you know, used to, I think we're all in agreement now, especially in the intelligence field that IOCs, integrating IOCs into a SIM is not intelligence, right? That is a point in time. An attacker can switch their IP or domain mm -hmm. very quickly you know, where that is really a point in time type of intelligence. And what we ultimately are seeing customers ultimately want is that they want the answers, right? They want that context. They want what is actually relevant to them. Because I think a lot of these platforms and products, you know, are noise, unfortunately. And, you know, they, and sometimes, and sometimes even they might have applicability to say, okay, this is what's happening in the industry. At the end of the day, like a CISA really wants to know what's, what, what's happening to them. Right. Yeah. And I think that the, that ability to provide those answers of what is actually impactful to them is really like where we kind of are. That's our you know goal of really building managed services around intelligence. That's pretty neat. Now, you mentioned we a couple of times. You started in 2015. I go to your website and I'm thinking like, man, I need to get a better web web developer because this <laughs> just looks awesome. It's like, you know, how many hundreds of people have you got now working for you guys? Yeah, we aren't in the hundreds. but We're certainly growing fast. You mentioned our website and our marketing efforts, our VP of marketing, Tom Van Horn, and our third-party strategy and marketing agency are simply world-class. And of course, this is all a team effort. You know, of course, we have significant help from and contributions from our sales team, our Pandion intelligence team, who, of course, the operators who do all the cutting-edge investigations. These are offensive operators, defensive operators, OSIN experts, and the R&D team, which is our engineers who build a lot of the technology enablement. 
that allows us to do these investigations at scale. And even our product management function, uh, it all comes together you know, under our CEO, David Atu, who's just been fantastic for us as well. And so, you know, again, we're a Series A company building out the go-to-market machine so we can really accelerate our mission. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, in our, our conversation we had before doing the call, it's interesting because some people are working out there in security and they're wondering, you know, should I, you know, what, what do I do next after being a CISO? Because you work your way up a career path. You get to a certain level. And then if you are ambitious and you look around, you say, well, you know, you just have to find a bigger island or a bigger mountain to lean up against. But going off on your own is always an interesting venture. I mean, I've started businesses. Obviously, you started business and, uh, and done well at it. But for folks who are looking at that type of ideas, any, any thoughts or recommendations either to say, hey, you know, don't do what I did, but stay where you're at and get that retirement check or... Under what circumstances would it make sense and when for someone to say, you know, it makes sense to take my special brand of abilities out to the market? Sure. I mean, what, man, that's a whole podcast really on that topic, right? Well, maybe we'll come back and do one. But <laughs> Yeah, I w- and I would love to as well. No, I think realistically, look, I mean, CISOs in general, I think have the best insight in terms of what ultimately, because look, let's, let's be honest, the world of what cybersecurity is, unfortunately, right, wrong or indifferent, is... We got to buy a bunch of products and services. We got to build a, a big team and, and have people to integrate all these things. And very few of them talk to each other, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's going to, now that's going to certainly be solved a lot with a lot of integration of the cloud, but there's nobody that understands that better than, you know, the chief information security officer or security teams. So their ability to at least see, have that aha moment where they say, okay, I, th- th- there's a problem, right? I know, I need, I know, I think I have, I would have a solution certainly on how to solve it. I mean, that's where it all starts. Right. Mm-hmm. And then of course, really, then it comes really ab- upon, you know, a CISO or anybody that has an idea then to ultimately say, well, okay, now I got to go build a proof of concept or ultimately build a, a service around that type of concept. And then of course, it's really, you know, the, you know, ultimately the financial backing to really have, have that risk tolerance. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Right. Do they have and, the risk tolerance certainly to go off on their own? And then, of course, there's one of two ways they can do that. And there's no wrong way, but you generally see people that go, you know, have, you know, they want to just, you know, build a nice business for themselves and maybe a few others and keep it, you know, lean and mean and keep it small. And then, of course, there's others that, you know, want to co- kind of build out the team and, you know, go raise money and raise funding and certainly have, you know, have a, diff- a different, out- a potentially different outcome. But and I think that really gets to what kind of leader you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of folks really are and, and really how much risk they, you know, really want to take, you know, in my opinion, you can either be, you know, in control or you can be, you know, ultimately take the path where you're, ta- you're putting your, you're putting your success and really with others and you're building out the team and you're, and you trust others to really, you know, you know, kind of build out the team and, and build out special, specialized skill sets. And, you know, again, no, no, certainly wrong answer, but I think when you ultimately kind of drill down into it, that's, you know, that usually becomes the path, right? So if I kind of just, you know, rehash that, it's really, you know, identifying the problem, building out the, the, the POC, and then of course, you know, going and executing on that, determining what kind of business you want. Do you want a lifestyle business or do you want a, a growth company? No wrong mm-hmm. answer, but like you got to kind of really make that decision, certainly in the early days. Yeah, that's that's some really good insight. I think we may just come back to to talking more about that because I think we trade a lot of notes on that, and I think most of our audience would love to be a fly on the wall. So let's move back on if we can yeah, to no the problem. whole world of threat intel. 
and looking at the types of things. So for a security organization that comes to an understanding, either the hard way because something went horribly wrong or because they listened to, for example, the show and they said, by golly, I need to go get some of that stuff. I mean, it was a little bit when we go back in MacArthur back in World War II, he said, I don't know what those logistics things is, but I want more of it mm-hmm. because it was enabling him to be able to go ahead and conduct his operations effectively. As we look at filling that requirement, and this to me seems like what I had learned back years ago in sales training is a latent pain, something that doesn't hit you in the face every morning when you wake up. But when you sit down and someone asks you, do you know who really wants to come after you? Mm -hmm. No. Do you know what the tools and the capabilities are of those who really want to come after you? No. Do you know whether or not, okay, so you're a CISO, do you want to know these things? Or do you think it's okay to be ignorant of them? Because at some point in time, if something goes wrong, you don't want to get whacked from a perspective of due diligence that, man, you could have asked this, but you didn't. And so it seems then that effective threat intel allows us to, in advance, fill in some of those gaps in our knowledge base. No, that's exactly right. I mean, what what you're ultimately wanting to know is, and again, like this is, and, and some people have different opinions of this, right? I mean, you generally have people who are more governance, risk, and compliance focused, and you have other folks that are, and I'm really talking about CISO mindsets, right? You have either folks that are, you know, governance, risk, and compliance focused, or you have intelligence and investigations focused. And of course, mm-hmm. you have, you bring certain team members to really come together to really, you know, bring that, you know, bring that together, you know, frankly speaking. But realistically, you know, at the end, you ultimately have to have the mindset that, and again, like there's some people that say, you know, uh, attribution is not important or I don't, you know, need to know what's outside. I just need to know, be able to protect the guards and the gates and, you know, keep, you know, keep, you know, confidentiality, integrity and availability of data systems and networks running at all times. But at the end of the day, you have, a CISO ultimately has to have the mentality that prevention strategies and your security stack are mm-hmm. only going to go there. They're, that mean they're important. They're, they're easily 50 to 75% of the puzzle. But at the end of the day, like you have to kind of have that, you know, forward thinking that over the horizon type of a mentality to trust experts that are really looking at and actually interacting with the actors on a day-to-day basis. Good point. And as we take a look at the NIST cybersecurity framework of identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, and we're always urged to move left on security. <laughs> Yep. then what, what it comes out to, in a way, is to simply say what we're looking at with effective threat intelligence is we're moving away from the response and going forward almost up into the identify phase where you're not even waiting for an attack to occur. You're trying to anticipate where that next punch might be coming from and put up defenses, making it either difficult or impossible or not cost-effective for the well, attacker to try it. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, if, and, and the MITRE attack framework is a traditional framework. And of course, you probably have other frameworks as well within buried within NIST and certainly ISO 27.1. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like you said, like if we're looking at MITRE, it's just because that is, you know, the predominantly used one, right? If you're moving left and ultimately saying, okay, I want to stop actors in that initial reconnaissance phase. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if that's what you're, if that's where you ultimately want to like try to make bolster your defenses to ultimately put most of your investment to do that, which of course makes sense. I mean, you have to build it as your maturity program 
you know, ultimately matures, you're going to look to put defense defenses on all aspects of really the, um, of the MITRE attack framework. But if we're just looking at like the reconnaissance portion, I mean, this is where you will probably want to look to make investments really within threat intelligence, because, you know, that, that, like I said, like looking at that, you know, external, you know, external attack surface management, as well as, you know, the, you know, review of deep, dark, open and uh, social media Mm -hmm. uh, information around your reputation. Those are going to be the, you know, some of the best indicators certainly to, you know, stop attacks really at that, in that, uh, you know, initial reconnaissance phase. Got it. You know, I, I guess we could go on forever, but uh, you know, at some point in time, I got to wrap up. But there's one question that I want to finish on because I think it's kind of a, you know, maybe give you some business ideas. You probably already thought of this. <laughs> Cyber insurance. We're hearing a lot of issues there because insurance companies years ago didn't know what to insure for. They didn't know what exclusions to put in. They wrote a bunch of policies and they kind of got it right, maybe sort of. But in the last year or so, we've seen a huge surge of ransomware mm-hmm. claims being put in and then some talk about maybe we shouldn't let insurance companies pay ransomware claims because then the ransomware operators might not be targeting as much or they realize that their pound of flesh they're getting is not out of the insurance company. What are your thoughts about the intelligence and the threat intelligence being a valuable product to the insurance company? (laughs) So then when they assess the potential risk of taking on a client, they can say, if you do A, B, and C, right you're a lower risk and therefore your premiums go down and because sure. we're going to pay lots likely. And of course you do better and it sounds like a win, win, win all around thoughts on that. No, I completely agree. And there's no doubt that, you know, already that some of the big carriers are using, you know, your, your typical security ratings companies, you know, that, that ultimately provide, you know, vulnerabilities, you know, there, there already is, you know, there is a level of uh, intelligence certainly that, uh, is being used with security within you know carriers. I think that it probably there's a long way there's a ways to go there certainly, and there's certainly a lot of you know unique adaptations that certainly carriers can use to partner with experts, where underwriters and underwriters and actuarials are really understanding certainly the risk. And, and again, like that's always challenging as well because you know at the end of the day, no matter what, it, again, it's got to be made relevant internally. So there can be all this all the threat intelligence in the world saying that, you know, all these different actors are trying to target, you know, these sectors or even this company specifically. But then, of course, there then there's that question of like, OK, well, what's going on under the hood internally? Right. Right. And I think that's always kind of the, the hard the hard challenge, because, you know, look, I mean, any a company that spends one hundred million dollars on security, as an example, they're going to be able to, you know, you have that robust stack and they're going to be able to patch within 24 hours. They're going to be able to, you know, have a robust, you know, endpoint detection response capability. Mm-hmm. They're going to be able to have next generation firewalls. Uh, they're going to be able to encrypt data at risk and in transit and all these different types of things. And I think that that's, you know, I think a combination of both of those things certainly, you know, needs to happen uh, much more aggressively. You know, I don't think that probably, you know, insurance companies or insurance writers are, are looking at real-time data flows, you know, mm-hmm. of like what is connecting out of an organization looking at, okay, well, this office here in the United States is, has a different security footprint than the office in their, you know, office in Singapore, right? Well, those things matter certainly to attackers and those things matter, you know, to, certainly to, you know, vulnerability and risk. And I don't think that they, I think they certainly could increase, you know, quite a bit to expand that knowledge. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Well, hey, Landon, I think this was awesome. So 
Landon Winklevoss from Nisos, NISOS.com. Check it out. They say you've got a really cool looking website and it's even more interesting, the stuff that you've done. So first of all, I want to say thank you for the service to your country early on when you'd worked in that area. And then from also for bringing this capability of doing threat intelligence, if you will, to the uh, commercial world, because it works well and it does provide with some risk reduction overall. So Thanks again. I'm glad to have you on the show, and I would look forward to perhaps getting you back at some other time. Happy to come back anytime. I love the show, and certainly thank you for everything. Again, the the company would not be started or not even have the longevity without the great team that we have. Uh, So it's really all about the team, and it's been certainly a a humbling and rewarding experience. Thank you. Well, you're most welcome. So everybody, thanks again for being a part of the CISO Tradecraft podcast. This is G. Mark Hardy, your host, and I encourage you as always to go ahead and follow us on LinkedIn or be able to uh, go ahead and share with your teammates. We're looking forward to at some point in the future being able to get back together with this particular individual because I don't know about you, but I thought this was a fascinating call. So thanks for listening and thank you for being part of the show.